Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Stuff We Love Podcast. I am Scott, your host for the evening. This is another one of those solo episodes that we do periodically. This week, uh, it was not planned to do a solo episode, but things have a funny way of working out. I was supposed to record an episode this past, I don't know, I guess it was Wednesday evening with my friend Dan. If you've listened to the podcast for a while now, you know that Dan and I joined forces periodically to record a Beatles episode, and uh, we were going to do another Beatles episode. Uh, We were set to start recording around 9 o'clock at night, and I'm sitting on my couch, 8.45, 8.50 in the evening. Next thing I know, I close my eyes, fall asleep, wake up, it's after 11 o'clock at night. And just like that, the episode was not to be. So we ended up not doing... The Beatles episode, Dan and I are going to record that later this week, and I generally like to get an episode out to you once a week. It's not always possible. Life gets in the way, but that's my general goal, once a week, and so uh, because things have just been busy over the past few days, I haven't really had time to record a long episode with my co-hosts or uh, special guests, and therefore I just wanted to uh, take a few minutes here on this uh, weekend evening, February 2021, to record an episode, just me, chatting about a whole variety of things, a couple different topics. We'll go over some listener questions in a few minutes. Bear with me while I take a sip of coffee here. I'm drinking Bones Coffee. You've heard me talk about Bones Coffee Company on the podcast before. Uh, I speak so highly of them, you'd think we were sponsored by them, but we're not. Uh, It's really good. I have to tell you, folks, if you haven't gotten Bones Coffee, go online, go to their website, and uh, order some of this stuff. It's phenomenal. Uh, It's interesting because a lot of people are fans of flavored coffee, and a lot of people are not fans of flavored coffee. I happen to like flavored coffee. Sometimes when you drink hot coffee that's flavored, the flavor doesn't really come through. It's not particularly pronounced. And if you want to get a flavor in the coffee you have to add some type of uh, coffee made creamer which is great it tastes delicious but it's not that great for you it's not that healthy for you what i like about bones so for example right now i'm drinking their chocolate raspberry flavor it's hot coffee i put some half and half in a couple of equals the flavor is very pronounced and that's what i like about it you don't need to add a ton of stuff to get that flavor so uh check out bones coffee company but yeah like i was saying the other night, I was supposed to record this episode, and I just passed out of sleep. I have not been sleeping well. I don't know if any of you are experiencing something similar to that. I think a lot of people are because of what's going on in the world today. But I find myself getting up throughout the night, not not falling asleep as easily uh, at night. And I think it's just with everything we have on our minds nowadays And as a result of not sleeping well, what ends up happening is that uh, sometimes around 8, 9 o'clock at night, I fall asleep. And that just ruins the whole whole evening in terms of my sleep schedule. So I really don't like doing that. And then you miss out on everything you plan to do during the evening, whether it's movies or sports or podcast recording, whatever it is. Uh, So I'm really trying to get into a better sleep routine, although it's hard. Uh, You know, I've been on a health kick as well, trying to work on losing some weight. And that, um, for me, 
involves getting up in the morning. I don't want to talk too much about it now because we are going to be recording a uh, a few health episodes of the Stuff We Love podcast. Those will be coming out relatively soon, in which we'll, uh, at which time we'll talk about Peloton and working out and eating and all of that. But um, if I'm getting up early in the morning, 6 a.m. or so, to do these workouts on the Peloton, I need a good sleep. It's very hard to get up at 6 in the morning if you... Uh, have been sleeping in a very scattered fashion. Uh, so it's been frustrating, I must say. Uh, but I think hopefully all of our sleeps will improve over time as the world hopefully returns to some type of normalcy. And it looks, uh, at least at this point, that we have reason to be cautiously optimistic that that's going to be the case. Uh, so in a few minutes on tonight's episode, uh, we will get into the listener questions I posed it on Twitter. I said, anybody have anything you'd like me to talk about? A few of you wrote in, and the questions were really great. All of them themed to uh, Walt Disney World and Universal Studios Orlando, so I look forward to answering them. And uh, Other than that, like I said, hope all is well. Uh, I have been loving WandaVision. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to check that out on Disney+. Plus. Seems like many of my friends have been watching that. That, of course, is the uh, recent... Marvel show starring Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. Uh, it's really, really tons of fun. I don't want to get into the spoilers because some of you may not be fully caught up as to where things stand. But uh, when WandaVision premiered, the first couple of episodes, a lot of people were uh, skeptical about it. They liked it. They didn't quite know where it was going. It didn't seem to get the praise among the fans that most Marvel releases seem to get. Uh, but for me, as a fan of 1950s, 1960s, 1970s pop culture, those initial episodes of the series offered a lot. I really enjoyed watching them because of the way that WandaVision recreated these classic sitcoms that I like to watch. The Dick Van Dyke Show, Bewitched, The Partridge Family, then when you get into the 80s, it has a growing pains, full house type feel. The most recent episode was a 90s takeoff. And what's happened as the series has progressed is that they have started to tie everything together. The viewer now understands why certain things are happening in the show that were not easily explainable before. It's a lot of fun. Great soundtrack, great score. Um, it's exciting, unpredictable. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's another home run by Disney plus the Mandalorian, obviously I guess was their first home run. WandaVision is one of their second, but you know, I, I, is it there's, I mean, there's been other home runs before this, the Imagineering story. Let's not forget that. Uh, that was an ultimate home run right from the start of Disney plus. I saw the other day that Disney plus has 95 million subscribers, or something like that. Don't quote me on that exact number. And they've reached this number in a very short amount of time. I get it. I really do. I mean, they offer so much content on Disney Plus that appeals to Disney fans, Marvel fans, Star Wars fans, families, kids. It's it's Everything is there for you. And now the fact that they're tying this into Hulu and ESPN Plus the streaming content offered by Disney is enormous. And as I've talked about here on the Stuff We Love podcast before, for me, my problem is not that there's not enough to watch, it's that there's too much to watch. 
I'm actually complaining that there's too much to watch because I don't like to watch a million things simultaneously. I usually have a few things going simultaneously. But the more things there are, the more pressure, for lack of a better word, because pressure is not the right. Pressure has a negative connotation to it. That's not really what I mean. But just you need to have time to watch these shows. And, uh, you know, I can only I I like the idea of what WandaVision is doing, where other than the first week where they release two episodes, it's one episode per week. These other shows that release every episode simultaneously, you got 10 episodes to watch. Each one could be an hour long. That's a 10-hour show. If somebody said to you, you had to go sit through a 10-hour movie, you probably wouldn't want to do it. Uh, It's a lot to watch, but eventually you get your way through it. But for me, for example, um, I have not yet seen The Queen's Gambit. I want to. I hear phenomenal things about it. I am a little bit behind on The Crown. like to catch up on that. I didn't see the second season of The Boys on Amazon. And there's a whole host of other shows that I have a tremendous interest in seeing. I just haven't gotten to it yet because in addition to all these TV shows, I'm trying to stay up to date on movies. There's plenty of sports to watch. I like to listen to music, play video games, read. There's so much to do and only so much time to do it. So here on the Stuff We Love podcast, there's a lot of stuff we love, but uh, time management is not easily something we love doing because uh, there's a lot of uh, things that we uh, we like to do and uh, the day only has 24 hours in it. But WandaVision is really good. I encourage all of you to check it out. Uh, and uh, in terms of one of the things I mentioned on the last episode of the podcast, I guess it was my Stuff We Love choice for the week. I'm, I'm loving this Frank Sinatra biography by James Kaplan, Sinatra the Chairman. Uh, it's part two of a two-volume biography of Frank Sinatra. I talked about it on the episode a little bit. I'm not going to get too much into it now, but it's just a really uh, immersive and insightful biography of Frank Sinatra. Uh, it's fascinating, just uh, absolutely fascinating. Uh, but uh, let, let's get to these listener questions because I don't want to have a, an extremely long episode, but I do want to get to these because the questions that were posed were really interesting and got me thinking. I, I've spent a lot of time over the years thinking about Disney World and Universal Studios, Orlando, uh, and trip planning and all of that. Uh, and I found myself analyzing these questions and thinking what I would say. And I, I surprised myself, I think, with some of the answers that I'm about to, to set forth here. So uh, here we go. The first question comes from our friend Kyle, who was a guest on a recent episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. You should follow him on Twitter at CT Disney Fans. He's a really great Twitter account to follow. And he asked me to talk about a resort that I have not stayed at at Walt Disney World, but want to, and, and why I choose that. Thank you, Kyle, for the question. I thought I would begin by talking about the Walt Disney World hotels that I have not yet stayed at. And this is that list. So we have All-Star Movies, All-Star Sports, All-Star Music, Pop Century, Port Orleans Riverside, Grand Floridian, Contemporary, Bay Lake Towers, and I know that's connected to the Contemporary, but I'm listing it as a separate property. Riviera, Boardwalk, The Swan. I've stayed at the Dolphin, but not The Swan. And I know they're not official Walt Disney World hotels, but in my mind they are. 
Uh, what? Where else have I not stayed? Saratoga Springs, I've not stayed at. And I guess that's it. Those are the ones. Uh, now, in terms of what hotel I would choose... Oh, and I, another one I mentioned. I've stayed at Jumbo House over at Animal Kingdom Lodge. I have not stayed at Kidani Village. And I know they're both considered part of the Animal Kingdom Lodge property. But uh, for, for purposes of this discussion, I'm including Kidani Village as a separate hotel. And I know Kyle loves Kidani Village. For, for me, if I had to narrow it down from that list to the final three, let's say, for me personally... That final three would be the Riviera, the Contemporary, and the Grand Floridian. Those are my final three. From that final three, I'm going to immediately eliminate the Contemporary, not because I don't want to stay there. In fact, I would love to stay there. But just doesn't jump out, especially now that they're, from what I understand, about to undergo some renovations. I'd rather wait until those renovations are done. Uh, and the time I've spent at the Contemporary, because I've been there plenty of times, I always have a lot of fun, whether it's eating at one of the restaurants or like the Wave or Chef Mickey's or uh, riding the monorail through the property or browsing their gift shops, which are really nice. I also took with my brother a uh, pontoon boat out a couple of years ago, which was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Uh, so, we, but I'm going to eliminate them now. So it comes down to two, which is the Riviera and Grand Floridian. Now, they are both tremendous properties from everything I have read about. Everybody I know that has stayed at those properties has spoken, for the most part, very highly of them. I have been to both of those properties, the Grand Floridian way more than Riviera because Riviera is a newer property. Uh, I spent some time in Riviera a little more than a year ago on a uh, trip to Disney World in January 2020. And uh, from what I saw, physically saw, the only complaint I had as a uh, visitor to the property is that the lobby was small and the main gift shop was small. And the gift shop thing is not a big deal, but it was a really small gift shop in my opinion. And the lobby being small... It's just personal preference. It's an expensive hotel, and I would prefer a larger lobby, although it's not a requirement. And the benefits you get at the Riviera Hotel are tremendous, with the Skyliner being on property, it being a new resort, modern, beautiful pools, good dining options. And while I haven't seen firsthand any of the rooms in the, on the property, I, I've certainly seen YouTube videos of those rooms. And they are beautiful. They really are just spectacular, whether you're looking at a studio or a one-bedroom there. It's just one-bedroom villa. It, it, they're really great. But for me, after giving this a lot of thought, if there was one hotel at Walt Disney World that I have not yet stayed at but would like to stay at, it would be the Grand Floridian. Now, let me tell you, I guess an interesting way of looking at this would be to start by saying what doesn't really interest me about the property because it's not like everything about it is something that immediately appeals to me. Again, this is a personal call and everybody will have a different approach to it. In terms of the decor of the rooms, again, from what I have seen, while I like it, 
it's not my first choice in style. I would prefer the decor over at Riviera. I think I'd prefer the decor over at Contemporary. Um, maybe even at the Swan, something a little bit more modern. Uh, the Grand Floridian is not what I would call a modern hotel. Uh, so that is a negative, and the price is extremely, extremely expensive. Uh, one of the things that Dean and I uh, talked about on a recent episode is how you could spend whatever it costs to stay at Hard Rock over at Universal Studios Orlando or Portofino over at Universal Studios Orlando, both spectacular hotels, and get more for your money perhaps, than what you would get by paying to stay at the Grand Floridian. So the decor of the hotel does not really appeal to me, neither does the price point. But with all of that being said, the Grand Floridian is considered to be the flagship hotel of Walt Disney World. It is the centerpiece hotel. When you're in the Magic Kingdom area and you are able to see all of the hotels there, Grand Floridian, Polynesian, Contemporary, Wilderness Lodge in the distance, they're all great deluxe hotels, but the Grand Floridian really stands out. In case you didn't know, it was modeled based on the Coronado Hotel out in San Diego, which is a very famous hotel, where they filmed the classic Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon movie, Some Like It Hot. It really does look like that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go on Google and check it out. And you know from looking at it, it is the flagship hotel. The lobby at the Grand Floridian is unbelievable. Is it the my favorite lobby I've been in in Walt Disney World? No, I actually prefer the Wilderness Lodge lobby. I prefer the Jumbo House lobby. I prefer... I was going to think Yacht Club, Beach Club. I'm not sure I, I do prefer those. But I prefer those, the two that I mentioned. And I, But I do think the Grand Floridian Lobby is extremely impressive, jaw-dropping when you walk in. The grounds are immaculate. They're clean. They're retro in a Victorian-type way. The pools at the Grand Floridian are really solid. I, years ago on a spring break trip, when I went in college, we didn't stay at the Grand Floridian, we stayed at Caribbean Beach, but we went, I think we had a drink at one of the poolside bars at the Grand Floridian, which I don't think you're allowed to do, but we did it, and uh, the pools were great, the, 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 the pool we were at, I should say, was great, we didn't go swimming, we just sat there, but it was, it was really great. The, um, it really has a luxurious feel, and it has a feel that does tie in very well with Main Street USA over at the Magic Kingdom. It is very much not just a the flagship hotel of Walt Disney World, but it is a true Magic Kingdom hotel, just like the contemporary links to Tomorrowland and Poly uh, Polynesian links to Adventureland. This is the Main Street USA type hotel. The dining options are good. I've been to Grand Floridian Cafe, 1900 Park Fair. I've not been to their quick service location. Um, I've been to Narcoosie's, but not Citrico's. But you certainly have good choices there. And of course, you have the benefit of staying at, at a Magic Kingdom hotel where you get the monorail and you get a boat transportation 
you also now have this walkway that was constructed. So you have several ways of getting to the Magic Kingdom from the hotel. And uh, there's something to be said for that. Having stayed at the Polynesian, being right on the monorail, it's a big deal. Not to be minimized. It has a lot of benefits to it. And just being on that loop, staying at any of those hotels, your ability to get to the Polynesian, if I was to stay at the Grand Floridian, to get to the Polynesian, to get to the Contemporary, get to the TTC and switch over to Epcot quite easily, there is something to be said for that. Uh, but I choose the Grand Floridian because it is the flagship hotel. It's spectacular. It's considered to be the premier hotel. And with all the times that I've been to Walt Disney World over the years and hope to go in the future, I would love just once to have the opportunity to stay at the Grand Floridian to see what it's like. Now, I have heard one of the criticisms of the Grand Floridian is that for the money you pay, the rooms are still much smaller than other hotels in general. You know, and I'm not just talking about Disney World hotels. And I get that. Uh, and I don't expect it to become my favorite Disney World hotel. I really don't. But I would love to have that experience. So th that is my answer to Kyle's question. Th thank you, Kyle, for the question. Great, great question. Uh, but, but any of these properties are great. And, you know, in terms of the land inside Walt Disney World, I'll probably choose the Four Seasons Hotel. I've not stayed there either. That's even more expensive from what I know of the, than the Grand Floridian. But it's a great hotel. Check out Ravello, the Italian restaurant there, for a solid under... Um, so, what's the word I'm looking for? Relatively little known restaurant on property, but it's really good. So that was Kyle's question. Now we're going to go to a question I received from... The username is GrumpyDad4. That's at Grumpy underscore Dad4. He asked me to talk about Disney Springs versus City Walk dining and shops. Great question. Thank you so much for that question. Everybody follow uh, Grumpy Dad. Four on Twitter. And remember, that's grumpy underscore dad four. A little bit of background for our listeners that may, may not be uh, totally familiar with it. So at, over at Walt Disney World, you have Disney Springs. This used to be known as Downtown Disney. And Disney Springs is a shopping, entertainment, and dining complex comprised of several neighborhoods. And uh, for me... It's an essential part of a Disney World vacation, not just once, not just twice, but multiple times, especially if I'm going to be at Walt Disney World for an extended period of time. I love going there. That's, that's just a little bit of basic background. City Walk is over at Universal Studios Orlando, and it is, I guess you could say, the Disney Springs equivalent over there. There are restaurants, there are shops, there is entertainment. It is smaller, and it is located right outside the gates of Universal Studios Orlando and Islands of Adventure, which are the two, as of the date of this recording, Universal Orlando theme parks. I guess there's Volcano Bay. I don't know if that's a water park. I don't know if I'd call that a theme park. Maybe they would, but it, to me, it's a water park. Now, the, I was asked to talk about it from the perspective of dining and shops, Let's start with the dining. You have multiple restaurants at both locations, both sit-down meals and quick service meals. Just to mention a few of the options available, let's start at Disney Springs. You have restaurants like The Boathouse, Chef Art Smith's Homecoming, Rainforest Cafe, Paddlefish, 
you have, um, I guess T-Rex. The name is escaping me. The T-Rex restaurant. You have, um, I hope I'm saying this right, Haleo, the Jose Andres restaurant. You have City Works Pub that recently opened. You have Splitsville. You have quick service places like the Chicken Guy and Earl of Sandwich. You have um, those are the, those are the, the places where you can go for a meal. And there's others I'm missing, but just a few to mention. Then you have, in terms of dessert options, over at Disney Springs, Ghirardelli, the Ganachery, Amaretz, which is a bakery type place. You have uh, a gelato location, uh, Sprinkles Cupcakes. You have Goofy's Candy Barn. Is that Candy Barn or Candy Company? Candy Company. Uh, and, and other places. That just gives you a taste of the stuff that you're looking at. There are more. Uh, the Plight Pig, by the way, is another dining option that just occurred to me. And again, there's others I'm missing. Then over at City Walk, in terms of the dining options, for the sit-down restaurants, you have a Bob Marley-themed restaurant. You have Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, Hard Rock Cafe, Toothsome Chocolate Factory, which is both a sit-down restaurant and a dessert location. You have the NBC Sports uh, Cafe or Grill. You have, uh, I guess the name of it is Il Vivo. It's an Italian restaurant over there. I, I've been there and I really like it. It's The name is escaping me. You have Cowfish, which is a burger and sushi place. And there are a couple of other locations for dining there. Quick service, you have a Burger King, I think, there. Uh, for dessert, another great location is Voodoo Donuts, well-known place. I think there's another ice cream place. So you have good choices at both. To me, the edge goes to Disney Springs from a dining perspective, though, for a couple of reasons. One, just in terms of sheer number of restaurants, you have more choices over at Disney Springs. And from the while I've never had a bad meal over at uh, Universal City Walk, I've enjoyed everything I've eaten there. At Disney Springs, you are uh, given the choice of several what I would call best of the best, top of the line restaurants. Not in terms of fanciness, but just in terms of food. Anybody that's listened to the Stuff We Love podcast knows that I am a fan of the Boathouse. It's my favorite restaurant in the restaurant in the world. I love Chef Art Smith Homecoming. The food is delicious there. Just those two restaurants alone, the fact they're over at Disney Springs, gives that the edge from the dining perspective. Uh, but then you also have other locations at Disney Springs to eat, which are really good. Uh, I happen to have a good meal on my last visit to Maria and Enzo's, I guess is the name of the place, a recently opened Italian restaurant. I know it doesn't really get as much attention as some of the other places, but I really enjoyed it. I had a great meal over at the Italian restaurant at Disney Springs, which, uh, Trattoria. Am I saying that right? Look, I'm going to look that up. It's the benefit of a solo show. I could take the time to uh, just take a look at what that restaurant is called. I want to make sure I'm giving the, uh, yeah, Trattoria Al Forno. Over at Disney Springs is a really good place. So, but just Boathouse. Oh, and Wolfgang Puck's Cafe. Again, I know not everyone is crazy about this place. I had a terrific meal there. So, I choose Disney Springs for the dining. Plus, in terms of the desserts, Ghirardelli is phenomenal. The Ganachery is great. 
Amaretz looks great. They recently opened up Everglaze Donuts. Then you have Gideon's, if you're lucky enough to be able to get something there because it's so crowded. You have really solid dessert places. So I give the edge to Disney Springs from a dining perspective. But with that being said, from a dining perspective, there is absolutely nothing wrong with City Walk, particularly on the dessert front. Because when I go to City Walk or I go to Disney Springs, I'm really going there for eating dinner and dessert. I have been there for lunch and I've been there for an afternoon snack. But based on the way I personally do my trips, I'm more likely than not going to be there for dinner and dessert after dinner. And in terms of that dessert after dinner, Universal City Walk gives you, in my opinion, two of the most fantastic options anywhere in the world. You have Voodoo Donuts, which is not just a unique food experience in terms of the uh, store itself in the decor, which is really unique, but the donuts are out of this world good. From the moment you walk into the store and you see the donuts on that spinning wheel to the packaging of the donuts and the variety there, it's a very unique donut experience. And I know Disney Springs recently opened up Everglades, uh, Everglades, not Everglades, Everglades. And I've heard pretty good things about it, not universal praise, but, but pretty good things. I've been to Voodoo Donuts now multiple times. I love it. It's great. And then additionally, over at Universal Studios Orlando at CityWalk, to Toothsome Chocolate Factory, and Savory Feast Kitchen, I think is the full name of the place. Not only do I like the food there, but from a dessert perspective, whether you're getting ice cream, milkshakes, chocolates, it is so, so good. Their chocolate times five milkshake is phenomenal. I've had their triple brownie sundae, which is enough for 50 people, but yet I finished it myself, which kind of freaks me out. It's just solid. And I, even though I give the dining edge to Disney Springs, if you said to me, I want you to go choose a place for a dessert, I may end up going to Universal City Walk. That is how highly I think of that location as well. And for me, I consider both Disney Springs and City Walk's dining options to be essential parts of my vacation experiences in the Orlando area. Now, from a shopping perspective, I am more familiar, admittedly, with the shopping opportunities over at Disney Springs than I am over at City Walk. I've spent more time shopping at Disney Springs than I have at City Walk. Now, in terms of City Walk shopping opportunities, they have a Universal Studios store, which is rumored to be moving into an even larger location than it's currently at, which makes sense to me. It seems to be a relatively small location right now. <coughs> Excuse me. And then you have a, a few other stores, a couple of them closed recently. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm not even fully knowledgeable enough to talk about the full scope of shopping opportunities at CityWalk. But I can talk to you about the full scope of shopping opportunities over at Disney Springs. And Disney Springs is going to be where I give the edge to from a shopping perspective just based on the sheer number of stores there. The cool thing about Disney Springs in general, folks, 
is that each part of Disney Springs, to me, has its own feel. So if you start over by the Cirque du Soleil Theater, you're near the NBA experience, you're near the AMC movie theater, the House of Blues, and a uh, Haagen-Dazs, there's a Starbucks there, and a few shopping locations. One of them is a uh, Marvel store, and then you have a place which opened up within the past couple of years. It's a Disney store. I'm looking this up as we speak, and I've been there a few times. Disney Style is the name of it. Those shopping opportunities are really cool, a lot of fun. Disney Style in particular has some really unique stuff you won't find many other places. And it has a feel to it. Then you get to the area of Disney Springs, you cross a bridge. There's a Planet Hollywood there, there's a Coca-Cola restaurant there, Chicken Guy's in that area. Uh, the Edison, which is a really fun place to go, another restaurant. STK Steakhouse, another restaurant. Paradiso 237, I think is the name of the, another restaurant there. You have all these options. Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar, another great place. Raglan Road. How can I not? I'm going back to the dining. I'm reverting to the dining here, but I'm just mentioning the sheer number of additional restaurants. But focusing on the shopping, there's not too many shops in that immediate area. But if you were to go, I'm sort of picturing this in my mind, another way while walking around Disney Springs, you go to a semi-indoor area where there are non-Disney stores. You have... Sugar Boo and Company, which is a cool home furnishing and decor store. You have Columbia Sportswear, Tommy Bahama. Then you go to you go to Uniqlo. You go to Under Armour. There's a really great Under Armour shopping location. Ron John Surf uh, Company. You have Stance Socks, Keels, which is like a beauty products type store, skin products. I think there's a Sephora there. I don't need to mention every location, but you have a lot of stores, again, not unique to Disney, but just really nice and presented in a very uh, pleasing shopping experience. And then you get to what's known as the marketplace area. So the west side is over where we started. I honestly don't know what they call the place I just was at with Under Armour and so forth. But then you get to the marketplace. And when you get to the marketplace, it has an, a very unique feel there. That, to me, is the most, quote-unquote, vacation-y type feel in all of Disney Springs. So from a shopping perspective there, you have the World of Disney Store, which, from what I understand, is the world's largest Disney store. You have Star Wars Trading Post. You have a pin trading store. You have the Marketplace and Co-op, which has many smaller stores all themed to Disney. And then you have Basin, which is a soap product store. Great location. Great, great spot. You have, I hope I'm saying this right, Arabus, Arebus, which is a glass store. I think it's Arabus Brothers, but it's, it may be Arebus. Don't quote me on this. And uh, there, there may be other shopping locations in that general vicinity I'm missing. But the point is that there are so many more shopping opportunities in Disney Springs that I give it the edge over City Walk, but it's more than just the number that causes me to give it the edge. It is the actual stores themselves that that uh, caused me to name Disney Springs as the winner in this category. I love going to World of Disney. It can at times be overwhelming, but to have so much cool stuff in one location, 
all different types of products. You can't beat that. The marketplace and co-op. Every time I go there, I see a million things I want to buy. I have a lot of cool Disney stuff in my house. There's always something neat to get there to add to that collection. Uh, if you collect Disney pins like I do, the, the pin trading location is, well, there's plenty to do there. The Art of Disney, I didn't mention that originally. That's been there since I was a kid. It's a beautiful store. You can spend a long time there just looking at everything, even if there's nothing you end up buying. It's like being in a cool Disney museum. Then you have over on the west side, the Marvel location is really cool. Disney style is fun. If you're a Disney fan, there are a tremendous number of shopping options for you. And then on top of that, the non-Disney stores are really cool. And there's so much different variety there. I didn't even mention maybe even the majority of those types of stores. Uh, and even if they're a non-Disney store, in the case of at least one, I'm thinking of Uniqlo, they sell a lot of Disney clothing. So you can get both non-Disney stuff and Disney stuff. The shopping opportunities at Disney Springs, in my opinion, far exceed the shopping opportunities at University, uh, Universal, Orlando, Universal Studios Orlando CityWalk. But that is not a criticism of CityWalk. CityWalk is physically smaller. There's only so much that can go into that space. And what they have done with that space is spectacular. Uh, I have mentioned, and many of my guests have mentioned multiple times here on the Stuff We Love podcast, how much we love Universal Studios Orlando, whether it be the theme parks, the hotels, the restaurants, and City Walk. We just are such fans of that property. You can go to Orlando, just go to Universal Studios, that area, for multiple days, not even go to Walt Disney World and have a fantastic vacation experience. But if you are comparing, in my opinion, Disney Springs to City Walk, Disney Springs has the edge on dining and on shopping. But there's stuff for everyone at both. So that's my answer to uh, the question. Thank you so much for asking that question. I really do appreciate it. And then the final question, which I will answer on tonight's episode, and then I'm going to start to wrap it up because like to get this episode out to you this evening. It's a question posed by Walter. Walter asked me if I have an interest in going on a behind-the-scenes tour over at the Magic Kingdom, uh, during which I would have a chance to see the Utilidors, which is the underground complex through which Disney operates the Magic Kingdom, and whether or not I think experiencing that visit to the Utilidors would ruin some of the magic for me on future Walt Disney World vacations. In other words, would my knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes at the Magic Kingdom take away from my Disney experience? And that's a great question. Thank you, Walter, for asking that question. And it's a tough one. You know, I, I've, I guess, thought about it a little bit in the past, but I never really thought about it a lot. And on my previous trips, I never really had the time to take a tour, although it's always been something that I've wanted to do on a future trip. And if I was to take a tour, the one that I would be most likely to take would be, I think it's called the Keys of the Kingdom Tour. I don't believe it's currently offered right now with the pandemic, although I'm not 100% certain. And that is the tour that takes guests on a behind-the-scenes visit to the Magic Kingdom. And... I would say 
that I would have an interest in seeing the Utilidors. Now, the Utilidors have things that go on there, from what I understand, that certainly show that not everything is as it seems at the Magic Kingdom, which we all know to be the case anyway. But you may see characters not wearing their masks. You see garbage perhaps being transported. I'm, that's really a guess on my part as to what goes on over in the Utilidors. I don't know for sure because I've never been. Uh, but I happen to personally be interested in how the Walt Disney Company does the things that it that it does in terms of how they make the movies they make, how they build the attractions they build, the technology that goes into making the theme parks what they are. I have an interest in that. I've read books about it. I've watched documentaries about it. And because of my fascination with that type of stuff, I would have an interest in being in the Utilidors. I think I would find it fascinating. I really do. And I think that it would actually enhance my future visits to the Magic Kingdom. That's my take on it. Because when you're actually in the Magic Kingdom and you're in Tomorrowland or Adventureland or whatever it is that you're doing, you're on a particular attraction, that's where your focus is. I don't think I would be distracted by thinking about my visit to the Utilidors when going on these future attractions and being in these lands in the future. I think knowing how things actually work enhance my appreciation. And there are other things that I've learned about over at Disney, such as how animation developed over time. That doesn't take away my enjoyment of Disney films. I think that it actually enhances my enjoyment of Disney films. Um, trying to think of an example over at Walt Disney World of something that I know. Look, I have been in Disney attractions that are no longer in existence and that have been replaced at the exact same physical location with other attractions. And it doesn't take away my enjoyment of the experience. I mean, one that comes to mind, even though the attraction is now closed, you had Alien Encounter being replaced by Stitch's Great Escape. Now, it's nothing there from what I understand. I wasn't crazy about Stitch's Great Escape. When I was there, I wished I was at Alien Encounter, but it's not like my knowledge of what went on there took away from my enjoyment of it. Uh, trying to think of another example like that. Um, if I was to stay at the Contemporary Hotel, I'm a little bit familiar with how the Contemporary came to be built and what it was like when it was under construction. I don't think my knowledge of that would take away from my enjoyment of staying at the property. And even without actually having been to the Utilidors, I know that when you're at the Magic Kingdom, it's kind of like you're on the second floor of a location and that the first floor is the Utilidors. I know that there is, for example, the use of what's known as forced perspective to help develop what a guest to the Magic Kingdom sees. Not everything is as it seems. I know that, uh, look, I've seen photos over at Animal Kingdom of Pandora and what is behind all the lush, beautiful trees and vegetation. 
knowing that doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the experience. And even something like, for example, I, I remember when I rode the Skyliner. I, I could be wrong about this, but I think last January when I rode the Skyliner over near Epcot, when Ratatouille was still under construction, I was able to see things from a behind-the-scenes, back-of-the-property perspective, which I actually thought was pretty cool. It didn't take away what I thought of Future World and World Showcase. So I think I would have an interest in seeing the Utilidors, although I think that for many people, and maybe for myself, I, I don't know because I've not done it, but for many people, they would not want to see what goes on behind the scenes. They want to live that fantasy that when they're at the Magic Kingdom, they're in Tomorrowland, they're in Main, they're on Main Street USA and so forth. They don't want to know where the cast members are going to the bathroom and where uh, laundry and garbage gets moved and where the cast members eat and characters eat and so forth. They don't want to know that or be there. And I get that. I totally understand that. But for me, while there are convincing arguments on both sides, both sides of the equation, I think I would choose to actually spend time in the Utilidors and see how things function behind the scenes. In general, I would love to start spending more time on Disney tours. I remember seeing in Epcot groups of a particular tour riding these Segways around the property. I don't even know if I'd figure out how to ride one of these things, but if I was able to do it, which I'm sure I would, uh, I would love to learn all this stuff. Uh, being on the Living with the Land boat ride, you see people on the uh, the tour of Living with the Land. I think that'd be a lot of fun. It enhances the Disney experience. It's easier, I think, to do that stuff if you either live in the area and, and can more easily get to the parks or if you go frequently. If you're going periodically to the parks, and I think I saw a statistic that said the average American goes once every, or average visitor goes every three and a half years to Walt Disney World, it's not as easy to spend time taking a tour while on your vacation because there's so much else to do. But yes, Walter, thank you for your question and I would have an interest in seeing the Utilidors and anything behind the scenes over at Walt Disney World. Uh, so those are the listener questions tonight. Thank you to everyone who submitted. And uh, I guess I'm going to wrap up this solo episode. As I mentioned at the beginning, I will be recording with Dan later this week in the next episode of our Beatles series. I have a lot of fun recording those. They're really great. And uh, as always, we conclude our Stuff We Love podcast with a Stuff We Love recommendation. I hadn't really thought about what to uh, what to recommend to you, but but here's what I will give a recommendation for. I mentioned the Sinatra book I'm reading earlier. There is an upcoming Frank Sinatra tribute album by Willie Nelson coming out. Now, Willie Nelson years ago recorded a collection of uh, songs from the Great American Songbook called Stardust. It's a very famous album. It was immensely successful, and it's a really good album. He is... Uh, doing more songs from the Great American Songbook here on the Sinatra Tribute album. I think the album is called That's Life, and it comes out relatively soon. This, My recommendation is this. This past Friday, he released a track from the album, which is a duet with Diana Krall of the song I Won't Dance, which is a song that Sinatra did a couple of different versions of. One he did with Count Basie's orchestra on the Sinatra Basie album, and he also released a version of it, I think, if it was a swinging affair, it's uh, it's escaping me. I'm going to look it up now for the sake of completion of our episode. 
yes, it was a, a Swing and a Fair album. And I love the song. It's a great track. Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett also do a really good version of it, by the way. But anyhow, uh, this duet with Willie Nelson and Diana Krall was released. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a really good recording. I enjoyed that track immensely. It got me very excited for the album. So that is my Stuff We Love recommendation for the week. And now I'll tell you where you can find Stuff We Love podcast on various social media locations and accounts. We are on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod, Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. We have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. You can write to us, Stuff We Love Podcast at gmail.com. And our official website is Stuff We Love Podcast.podbean.com. There you can find links to all of our prior episodes. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon music and podcasts anywhere podcasts are found you can find the stuff we love podcast and we all thank you for subscribing to the podcast uh you know normally i'm joined by a co-host whether it be uh or a guest you know joe is a co-host jack is a co-host we've had a, a number of guests on basically it's really over the years now because we've been doing this for quite a while i think this is something like our 85th episode and um it's really great to have you all along for the ride so Thank you so much for subscribing. Please, everyone, continue to be safe, wear a mask, and uh, be careful out there. And thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. Take care.